0: And now please welcome Danny Meyer as we finish our Acts series. Well, good morning. We are at the end of our series. We've gone through the book of Acts. We're in the last chapter, chapter 28 today. We're going to look at a little section of that chapter. You know, it's been, I don't know what you think of it, but I've thoroughly enjoyed this series and listening to the other teachers and, and just seeing what God has for us. And it, it does seem like it's, it's clear, if you look at the book of Acts, it, it's clear that we, we have a, a, rec- a record, we have a testimony of, of a church that, that really understood they, they had a mission. A church that understood that they were they were called to, to co-minister with Christ. And from the very beginning of the the book of Acts, right through this last chapter, the common theme, the common thread, is here is a people, God's people, who were not just attending some, some club together, but here were a people who understood that God had called them to be disciples, to be followers. We've defined discipleship as, as the, the act of, of reflecting Jesus of allowing people to get a, a, a picture of Jesus through our lives. That discipleship involves uh, just opportunity, not just as individuals, but together, where we work, neighborhoods, you know, with friends and family, an opportunity for people to see through sometimes our words, oftentimes just through our actions and our attitudes, that people get to see something of Jesus' grace and mercy and love and justice and truth. You know, it's, it's not just that we see this as a, as a written record in the book of Acts and in the Gospels. What we see, the discipleship theme, the discipleship thread throughout the, throughout the New Testament. In, in the book of James, James doesn't use the word discipleship, but he talks about true religion, what true religion looks like as opposed to, to man's religion, false religion, uh, a, a counterfeit religion. He says a true religion, those who are, who are disciples, don't just hear truth, but they do truth. They're not just hearing the word, but they're doing God's word and not just knowing from the neck up, But again, through their their attitudes and actions, through their words, truth is being revealed through their lives. James talks about how this true religion that God is looking for is outward focused. It's not just that we come to understand truth and do truth because it's it's pleasant to us and we enjoy one another and doing things together but it's outwardly focused because a disciple, a person who's engaged in true religion and not man's religion, counterfeit religion, false religion, is interested in allowing other people, again, to get a glimpse of God's character, albeit somewhat diminished because of of who we are, but they get a glimpse of of Christ through us. It's outwardly focused. And James, I love how he talks about how discipleship, or, or true religion, is actually walking in a way where we are unstained by the world. You know, Penny has this habit. When I leave the house, she she sort of gives me a once-over. And then she, like, a, like two chimpanzees, she begins to groom me. You know, you got some crumbs from lunch, Danny, in your beard again. You know, is that, is that a stain on your church? You, you know, you, you look like you're a, a walking advertisement for what you ate for the last 24 hours. <laughs> and I tell her, you know, well, I was saving that crumb. It was a snack for later on, but she just doesn't understand. But I, I get stained by, uh, especially on my day off and on weekends, you know, I just sort of, you know, I'm sitting there reclining, watching football or whatever, and I, you know, it just sometimes things happen. But she, she helps me with my, my reflection of my, my diet. Well, James is saying that we need to be unstained by the world. That people see what we've been feeding on. That we're not just feeding on the things that the world provides, but we're feeding on those things that have eternal value. We're feeding on time with Jesus and those things that point us to him. The apostle Paul talks about discipleship. He, he talks about Not being worldly. Literally, he means don't be characterizing, reflecting the things of the world because we're called to something so much greater. And through our actions and our attitudes and our words, we cannot just reflect the things of this world, but we get to reflect Christ. It's interesting. One of the things that Paul says when he's writing to to the uh, church in Corinth is he says, because they were rather worldly, and he says, you guys are acting like mere humans. And I was thinking, as they read that letter or had that letter from Paul read to them, and he says, you're acting like mere humans, I'm sure a few of them looked at each other and said, well, what are we supposed to act like? Well, the answer to that is, you're supposed to be acting like Jesus, not just mere humans, but men and women who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, men and women who have been created to reflect Jesus and not just simply your own humanity. So today, what we're going to do as we look at this last chapter in the book of Acts is we're going to, to look at what it is and compare true religion and counterfeit man's religion. We're going to talk about discipleship as it compares to, to cultural Christianity. We're going to talk about what it looks like to be one who reflects Jesus and not just someone who has been stained by the world and reflecting the world that they're walking in. So let's go ahead and, and pray and ask that God will, would allow us not again today just to gain some knowledge or insight as to true religion versus false religion, discipleship versus a cultural American Christianity. Let's ask God to give each one of us grace to, to allow that, that understanding, that knowledge, those things that we're going to talk about, to take that 12-inch drop from our head to our heart, so that we can examine ourselves today. So, Father, we ask that you would come. Help us just to be captured by you and to capture those things that you want to say to us as individuals and as a church family. We welcome you here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you remember, last week in chapter 27... Paul had been arrested. He, actually, he was under house arrest and he was under guard with centurions for, for quite a while. He had come and, and had a trial because the Jews were, were accusing him of blasphemy and the, the Jews tried him. And he appealed, because he was also a Roman citizen, he appealed to, to make his case before Caesar, which was his right. So... He was on his way. He was being taken by ship from, from uh, Jerusalem. He was being taken to Rome to plea his case. And on his, the way, you remember last week, on the way to, to, uh, to Rome, a great storm with hurricane winds came up, and the, the boat was utterly destroyed. It was driven aground, shipwrecked, And it happened to land on the island of Malta. And that's where we pick it up today. They have just landed, been shipwrecked on Malta. Let me go ahead and read the passage today and then we'll comment on it. Verse 1, chapter 28, it says, When they had been brought safely through, the the storm that is, not particularly safely, but they were still alive, Then we found out that the island that they had landed on, the island was called Malta. Then the natives showed us extraordinary kindness for because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received all of us. But when Paul Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, he was was busy, he was cold, he was wet, he was was serving others, he was gathering some sticks for the fire. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper, a, a poisonous snake, came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. And when the natives saw the creature hanging from from his hand, they began saying to one another, undoubtedly, this man's a murderer. And though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook, Paul shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting, the, 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 the natives were expecting that he was about to swell up and, and suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a while, a long time, they had seen nothing unusual happen to him. And they changed their minds and began to say, he was a god. It was sort of a typical day. You know, he's a murderer. I guess he's not a murderer. He didn't die when he got bitten by the poison snake. He must be a god we see a great picture in these verses of a comparison of what it looks like with one who sees himself as a disciple and how those who are, who are religious, with man's religion, approach life and view life. And again, I want to encourage you as we go through, we're going to look at six characteristics of, of counterfeit religion. And six characteristics of, of discipleship. Six characteristics of what it looks like to live a life that is worldly. And six characteristics of what it looks like to live a, a life that is, is reflecting Jesus. I want us to, to use it as a, a, an opportunity to do some self-diagnosing. Because if you're like me, there, there, there's always areas of our life that begin to take on the characteristic of worldliness, take on the characteristic of, of earthly human, man-created religion, and is not that undefiled true religion, that true discipleship that God is, is looking for. So the first characteristic of, of counterfeit religion that, I, that we could draw from, from this passage and that we could see perhaps in our own lives is that in in religion, in human religion, earthly religion, man's religion, God is far off rather than being a personal God. We we may believe in God. There may have been a time where, where each of us prayed a prayer. may have been a time when we all surrendered ourselves to Jesus, when we received the gift of forgiveness. But though we believe in God, we may not really act in such a way, live in such a way that reflects that we know him. We might even love him, but it's from a distance. We may have a creator, but our creator, we act as though he doesn't really know me. He is not really involved and drawing close to me. It's like how we we view and how we relate to to various movie stars sometimes. We feel like we know them. We may even want to try to imitate a movie star, act like a movie star, dress like a movie star. We feel like there's connection. But though we think we know them, there's no connection. I, I, I remember when I, I grew up with brothers but I had a, uh, some uh, cousins who, who were girls and and I remember when I was a young teenager, they were young teenagers, I remember one time in particular they were, they were watching Elvis. He was on Ed Sullivan. Some of you, maybe one or two of you might remember that. And I, I remember one of my cousins sitting there just talking to the TV Oh, Elvis! And I looked at her like she was absolutely nuts because she was talking to the TV like he was hearing her. And I turned to her and I said, You know, he doesn't hear you. And she looked at me like she was going to kill me. Truth be told, some of us relate to God in that same way. We talk about him, but we have a God who we assume is so far off. We're just one of the crowd. He doesn't really involve himself in our lives. A second characteristic of counterfeit religion is that we we develop a a God system rather than coming and knowing a God who's in control of our lives. Our, Our religion, our spirituality is, is resting, grounded in a system. See, the natives in Malta, when they saw Paul get bitten, they immediately assumed, well, he must be a murderer. Because when bad things happen, there, there's a system taking place. When, when someone does something bad, bad things happen. When someone does good things, good things happen. They had a nice, clean system, so they could have an expectation on on life and explain life. And, and religion, human, earthly, man's religion, worldliness, likes this concept of, of making our, our faith a system. But it leaves God really not in control. You see, the, the, the Maltons, the Maltese, the guys on Malta, They saw Paul get bitten. They saw the shipwreck. And they, according to their system of how life works and spirituality works, immediately they thought, justice won't allow him to live because he obviously has done things wrong. And we do the same thing sometimes without knowing it in how we relate to God and how we live out our lives of faith. We think... I'm okay spiritually. I'm doing all right with God because I've fulfilled this system of spirituality that I've created in the back of my mind. I I attended church this many times this month. I'm okay. I I I generally pray before some of my meals or I pray before I go to bed. It's part of my system. I'm okay in my walk of faith. I volunteer at the food pantry. I don't drink or chew or go, go out with girls that do. I'm okay spiritually because it, I've, I've fulfilled the system, but it, it negates a God who is active, a God who's in control. It's a system. What it really is, is just magical thinking. But our walk with Jesus is not something of magical thinking. where If, if I do this, this will happen. Like karma, if I, if I don't do that, something else won't happen. But our faith walk is just that. It's a walk with Christ and not a matter of of systems and and magical thinking. False and counterfeit religion is all about doing to be accepted. Our acceptance with God, our ability to to come into His presence is, is rooted in, is grounded upon how well I'm doing, what I'm doing, See, if we do have a sense of a personal God, oftentimes with false and counterfeit religion, as opposed to discipleship, we, if not say, we act as though our acceptance by God and invitation into his presence is based on what we do to earn it and maintaining that relationship is based on what I'm doing to continue to earn that connection. And I I don't know about you, but I know in my life, I, I know that's bad theology, but my heart is a horrible theologian. And sometimes in my actions and in my attitudes and in my behavior, that's what's reflected in my walk with God. When I, when I mess up, when I stumble, I notice in my life that I, I tend to, to drift a little bit, to stay away from God, to feel a little bit less comfortable in, in coming into His presence, reading the Word, going to church, because I feel like, oh, I've blown it. And it just feels awkward. And I need to wait until I get some momentum back again. I need to wait until I, I get some, some good stuff going on and I can then come comfortably before God. Our Christian life becomes a, this, this cycle that constantly revolves in our life where, we, where we, we try to do well and then we stumble and fail and we, we, we back off from God in our heart, if not in, our, in our, our, our spiritual practices. And then finally we get to a point where we say, okay, I'm ready to, to try harder, to do better, only to find that we, we fail again. And some of us, if we were to chart our Christian lives over, over a month, much less over, over years, it's this constant cycle of drawing near, of feeling like we've disappointed God in not doing what is right and drifting away from him or even from church only to maybe months later, days later, years later, feel like we're ready to draw close again, only to fail again. And we could see this cycle over and over. That's human religion. That's false religion. False religion generally believes that God is out there looking and waiting for us to fail. The natives on Malta probably were thinking God was up there just watching what Paul was doing. Up, oh, Paul, we've seen some behavior that was wrong. I'm going to destroy the ship you're on. I'm going to have you bitten by a snake. That God is, is looking for our failures, focusing on failures. And some who have grown up in, in homes where there was, that, was mar- that were marked with, with criticism and judgment are especially prone to projecting on, on God maybe how you felt growing up in your home. That I, I, I feel like my, my father or my mother or my brothers are just waiting to look to see me stumble or fail and then pounce on it. and we think that God is just looking to catch us. So we end up living a a life that seems religious, but all it is is a a life of of trying to manage our sin, trying to prevent from being seen as one who's veered off the, the, the life of faith and doing the right things. The Christian life becomes sin management rather than true discipleship, which we'll talk about in a moment. With counterfeit religion, bottom line, we're in control. That's why people like to be religious. Because all of our sin management, all of our systems, all of our, our orientation of how to be welcomed into God's presence is resting on us. And even though that seems perhaps like quite a burden, at least I'm in control. At least I'm able to feel like I can make sure that that God and I are okay. So we develop lists in our mind and in our churches and in our Christian culture of those things that can make us Good, and spiritual, and holy. And those lists of, of what sins are, are bad and God hates are inevitably the sins that, that don't touch our lives. So we become preoccupied with certain sins. Yes, there's sin, but there's sins that, that the other people do. So we become hyper Vigilant in, in, in not liking homosexuality. That's bad sin. Not liking alcoholism and, and drug abuse. Not, not liking abortion. And indeed, all of those things are wrong. But it makes us feel okay, too. Because that's not what I'm involved in. You understand what I'm saying? Rather than saying what true spirituality is, are some of those things that that James talked about and what Paul talked about. Issues of attitude, issues of heart, how we speak, how our words affect others, attitudes towards others. Those are what, what James talked about as being true in undefiled religion. How we care for Those tossed aside by society in the first century was, it was widows and orphans. In our culture, it may be the people trapped in drug abuse that the culture wants just to put aside, push aside. It may be the immigrant who's just trying to get a good life, just like every single one of us would do, that we push aside. So, we make these lists again so that we're in control and God really only responds to what we do. Religious people create idols. I, I am sure the natives on Malta had, once they saw that Paul didn't die, the next step was going to be let's build a temple for Paul. He must be a God. And we know him, he came to our island. We, we put our, our confidence in in people, we put our confidence in, in organizations that give us a sense of identity, a false sense of identity, because our identity needs to come from someplace else. So we walk around saying, well, I'm an evangelical, well, I'm a charismatic, well, I go to Vineyard. I'm Catholic, well, I'm Methodist. I voted for Hillary, I voted for Trump. I'm a Democrat, or well, I'm a Republican, and these are, these are ways that we try to find a sense of, of security or safety or identity or hope or peace, worthwhileness, from things of the world, trying to find identity from earthly things, rather than finding our identity from things that are eternal their faults, their counterfeit foundations to try to find what only God can give. And that's why Paul gladly, happily said, I'm a bondslave of Jesus Christ. My identity comes from a connection to Him. It used to be I'm a Pharisee. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I know the law. But Paul had come to a place where who he was, his peace, his hope, sense of self and value was given to him by Jesus and only by Jesus. So, in contrast, what does true religion look like? What does it look like to be a disciple? Well, we love him because. He first loved us. We're no longer in control of relationship. We're a responder in this relationship. How freeing that is. That it's God who stepped off the throne, it's Jesus who has initiated a relationship with us, who has offered us an invitation into intimacy and demonstrated his great love for us in that even though he was without sin, he took on our sin. He paid for our sin. So we can boldly, the writer of Hebrews says, unabashedly come into his very presence. We love him as a response to what he's done for us. Not something that we, we earn, Paul saw himself, and indeed, when you look at every time Paul was brought before the Jews or before a governor, before a king, Paul would always fall back on sharing his testimony, and the core of his testimony was I was the chief of all sinners, but God drew near to me. God captured me. God took hold of me. God rescued me. And Paul was compelled to tell other people about the person who rescued him was also pursuing every single other person that he came in contact with. Paul understood that there was a place for him at the table And that's part of what it means to be a disciple, to start at a foundation, knowing that there's a place for you at the table and that you don't have to stand off on the edge. You don't have to hide behind some plant in the banquet room, not knowing whether you'll be accepted or not, but there's a place for you at the table. True religion Understands that we're called to join him in his ministry, in his mission, and his purposes. We don't invite him into our life, into our purposes, into our desires. But he's come and says, I invite you to take on the mission that I came to earth to fulfill The great question so many of us have is, what am I for? Why am I here? And the answer is to daily, to, to moment by moment, have, have that understanding, that revelation from God where we can join him in his mission, join him in his, in his, in his ministry. That throughout the day, he's never going to tell us about tomorrow or next week, but throughout the day he's nudging us, whispering to us hey, here's something that I designed for you, here's a a divine appointment that I've set up for you in the cereal aisle at, at Myers here's an opportunity that isn't just coincidence that you live next door to this person, that your cubicle is right by that person, but I am inviting you to join in my purposes. The, the go cards, and incidentally, if you forgot to bring your go cards, or your pledge cards, you could send them in, you could drop them off during the week, you could turn them in over the next few weeks. But the go cards that, that say, here's what talents I have, what abilities I have, what, what, what gives me life, here are things that I can, can offer to Jesus. So that I can reflect him. Here are ways in which I can find myself impacting others as I join him in his mission. For disciples, there's a new motivation for obedience. In religion, our motivation for obedience, for doing what is right, is to be accepted and to maintain that that acceptance by God. But for a disciple, there's a new, a different motivation for obedience. It's not as if obedience doesn't matter, but we obey because we we want to please the one who has shown such great love to us. We want to obey because we assume that the one who created us knows well and probably a little bit better than us, what will make our lives work. So that we can experience what he promises when he promised the the abundant life, a life full and a life that is satisfying. We obey because we want to reflect him. See, we obey not to gain his love, so we can live a life that reflects his love. We're we're forgiven when we stumble, but the glory of the gospel is that God is at work in us, transforming us, so that we don't have to continually struggle. And out of this relationship, out of this connection, he begins to to make us more and more like him. A disciple grows continually, regularly, comfortable at the feet of their master. That not only is it true that Jesus initiated a relationship with you, Jesus continually not just at some time when you were eight years old at a, at a vacation Bible school, not just when you were a, a teenager and, and, and at, at a, a youth camp, not just when you were at some church in the past or, or just a few weeks ago and, and, and went forward to, to pray a prayer and receive Christ, but Jesus is continually calling us every single day. We open our eyes in the morning. And throughout that day, from morning till night, Jesus is saying, come walk with me. I have a path for you. I have a purpose for you. And we become comfortable at his feet. We get used to knowing how to find him in the midst of, a, of a, a, an active day. And more importantly, we purposefully build margins in our lives, so that we can find that place where we we get centered, where we are reminded who we are because we've come to know and see and listen to the one who created us. That there's a a, a well-trod path in our lives That becomes familiar, that in the midst of busyness, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of trials, in the midst of temptation, we know how to find our way into his presence. A disciple grows, it's a process, but a disciple grows and desires to grow in their being comfortable in his presence and at his feet. A disciple recognizes that their lives are woven together with other disciples. The Christian life was not designed to be something between me and Jesus. It was designed to be something that is done in community. Me and brothers and sisters and Jesus. And there is an aspect where it's me and Jesus but not only or simply just me and Jesus. And and why is that? Why does the Christian life work best when we're woven together with others? Well, it's, it's because that's how he designed it. And why did he design it that way? Well, for a number of reasons. One, because iron sharpens iron, like it says in Proverbs. And there are those who are perhaps sitting right next to you right now. Don't look, don't look, but they're there. Who sharpens you, who helps to rub some of the rough off edges off of you, who are very different than you. And God designed it that way. We don't get to choose our brothers and sisters. We don't get to choose our family. You might be able to choose your friends, but that's why God wasn't interested in boutique churches where we just, we just get together people with, who are just like us we're part of a body, and there are hands, and feet, and kidneys, and appendixes, and ears, and all sorts of parts. The, the twelve apostles, the disciples that used to travel with Jesus, some were, were zealots. They were, they were ready to revolt against Rome, and others, like Matthew, were, were sort of working in cahoots with Rome. There were those who were rich and there were those who were poor. There were those who were well educated and those who weren't. There were were men and there were women who traveled with Jesus. There were young individuals like like Mark who wrote the gospel who when he traveled some with Jesus because he was with his mom who traveled with Jesus. It was Mark's mom where the, the Last Supper was held. There were young people and there were old people because... We function together in a body. That's how it's designed. That's what it looks like when you're a disciple. You're allowing your lives to be woven together. Finally, the last one I want to make is a disciple is one who is outward focused. James talked about it. Paul talked about it. Paul's life screamed it. The book of Acts modeled it. A disciple, true religion, is outward-focused. Yes, we we watch over our own souls. We nurture ourselves spiritually, physically, emotionally. But we're made to be part of his mission. And his mission, thankfully, is outward-focused. We're outward-focused so that we can reflect him. And do his ministry. Take on his mission. We're called to go and be a disciple and go and make disciples with our words and our actions, reflecting his character, his love, his mercy, and so on. So, here we are. We want to be a a church like the church in the book of Acts. That is a a church, a family in motion, a family connected to him, a family engaged in doing his things, his works. And, and honestly, that's what the, this whole beyond the building campaign is about. How can we be deployed as his children and as his church? And I was, I was reflecting on this, and, and I was thinking, what can we do today that would help us remember why we exist, what we're for, what it means to be a disciple? What could, what could I do to, to drive that home? And I thought, I, I, I got it. We're, we're going we're gonna to do another offering. Let's have the worship team come forward Let's have the ushers begin to come forward. We're going we're to do a second offering today. But this is going to be a, a different kind of offering. This is going to be a reversed offering. The ushers have baskets once again, but these baskets are filled with $10 bills. And we're going to pass the basket, and I want everyone, one per, per family, if you're single, out of high school, one for every individual, single person, to take a $10 bill. And here's what I want you to do with that. I want you to pray two things. One is I want you to pray that Jesus this week will whisper to you, will nudge you of how you can use that in a outward-focused way. How you can reflect Jesus's love, his mercy, his kindness to someone else with that $10. For some of you before, well, you can go ahead and pass it. Well, now you want to wait a second. For some of you, it may be, (laughs) be ready though. For some of you, it, 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 it may be giving a generous that the Lord leads you to give to a, a waitress down at Bob Evans in a little while. For some of you, it may be a person who you run across who's panhandling. For some of you, it may be a person at work who you know is going through a difficult time and you just want to buy them their lunch. Some of you may be, might, might, might go, out, go and buy some yarn and knit a sweater and, and give it to somebody. But I, I want you to To say, Jesus, this week I want to deliberately be outward focused and I'm going to use this as sort of a a C to to be able to do that with. That doesn't mean you go out into the lobby today and say, hey, I want to bless you with this $10 bill and then have them bless you with their $10 bill. (laughs) You catch my drift. And the second thing I want you to do is ask that God would seal in your heart, do a work in your heart, and in our hearts collectively, that we would be made into a a church full of disciples who are saying, here I am. I want to reflect you, not just this week, but continually, okay? Now you can pass... Pass those out. And I do ask you, as you do different things this week, as you, as you bless others, I'm going to ask you to send me an email, a text, uh, a letter, or, or on Facebook, tell me how you did that so that we could then put them together and encourage others. So let me know what you do with that. We're going to continue to worship. As, as the basket passes, can, uh, go ahead and take, take the $10, but let's worship and just give ourselves, give our families, give our church to be about the things of Jesus. Amen? Let's worship. If you can stand and pass the baskets, do that. Back of the room, we have guards. So that's our our testimony that's our prayer Lord give us grace for that to be the reality of our lives that we come to find our existence our hope our value our purpose our peace in you we give ourselves to you right now all of ourselves this church in its entirety all for you Lord come and capture us come Lord and use us to to do your ministry, to take on your mission. Father, we pray that in the the weeks and the months and the years to come, what would characterize our church wouldn't be rocking chairs, but that we we are people who are disciples, who are are driven by the, the, the glorious Call and and privilege that we somehow as broken as we are can be used to to reflect you so come apprehend us this week Lord I ask that each of us would be nudged that you would whisper in our ear letting us see those divine appointments those opportunities those conversations that you have have ordered for us so that we can can point people to you, that we can point you out to individuals. Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Use us. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen.